And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Athletic and your host of Atlantic and Coastal. The season is rolling. We're on to week three already, a quarter way through the season. Can you believe that already? Some very interesting matchups for the Virginia schools this week. So in honor of that, I'm bringing an expert in the Commonwealth of Virginia onto the podcast to talk about it. David Teal, columnist for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. You might know him more by his formal title, Hall of Famer David Teal. David, thank you for coming back on the podcast. My pleasure, man. Glad to do it. Well, let's start off. Uh, it is uh, a rough week, a brutal week, injury-wise for the ACC. Oh. This is this is a brutal sport, and it's it's tough to watch, and you hate to see stuff happen like this so early. But it just seemed like the, it was this avalanche of injury news for the ACC this week. Boston College's Phil Jerkovic, Jerkovic, I'll get his name right now that he's injured. Uh, yeah. A wrist hand injury looks like he's out for the year. I don't know if they've actually come out and said that. I think that's sort of the assumption at this point. Uh, Peyton Wilson at NC State linebacker out for the season with an arm injury. Virginia Tech tight end James Mitchell out with a knee injury. Uh, that just stinks. I mean, first off, overall, for the, the individuals, you hate to see anybody get injured like this. But furthermore, for the ACC, these are three very good football players uh, that they'll be missing. Uh, I'm guessing I probably know where you're going with this, but of those three, which one do you think uh, is the biggest impact to their team? Well, I, quarterback is the most important position in the sport, maybe in all of sport, period. So I, I, I think you look at, at, at Jerkovic, but I, I, I will say, having been in the press box last season when Dennis Grossell through for 500 plus yards against UVA in the regular season finale and four touchdowns, you know, when Jerkovic was hurt then, you know, BC's got some, got some depth there, Corbin. This will be his ninth career start uh, on Saturday against Temple. Yeah, that could that could be an interesting one. I I still you lose the preseason guy that you've hyped up and has been playing for yeah. a year. And I look at that UVA secondary last year and I go, who wasn't throwing for 400, 500 yeah. yards against that UVA secondary at that point? Uh, NC State, it feels like Wilson was sort of the, the heart of that defense. So that one's going to hurt. You and I know James Mitchell pretty well from being around the Virginia Tech program. First of all, just not like a, a better person. Right. Like just a just very distinguished and handles himself well. And uh, I think that's a, a pretty crushing thing just from the leadership aspect on the Hokies. Uh, you look at a tight end position. I think maybe there are ways to make up for that. But yeah, Boston College losing that quarterback. Uh, you mentioned Grozell. 
I didn't realize he started seven games in 2019. We covered that Virginia Tech yeah. opener that year, and that was Anthony Brown of all people. Right. Amazingly, to see right. this, seems, this seems like a lifetime ago. He's now starring at Oregon. Oregon. Uh, so you give Grozell a chance. You think BC could still be uh, a decent with him at the helm? I, I really do. I mean, it's not often that you've got a backup who's that experienced and that accomplished. You know, he threw for, I think it was for 200 plus and two touchdowns against Florida State in 2019. Had a great game against Syracuse. And I, you know, I referenced the Virginia game last year. He threw three picks in that game in UVA and won. But still, I don't think the moment is going to be too big for Dennis Grossell, even when they go to, to Clemson here coming up shortly. Well, he's got a nice way to ease into it. They played Temple this week. Uh, BC is 16-point favorites in that game. I think they should be able to handle that one. Let's move on to, to recap some, some action from last week. And I think the big question that everybody in the ACC has right now, and the question that people want to know, were you awake for the ending of the Jacksonville State-Florida State game? Full disclosure, <laughs> and I am ashamed to admit it, the answer is no. No. I, it, we had an 11 o'clock kick at UVA-Illinois on Saturday. And you know how I am. I like to get my workout in in the morning. So I got up at 4.30 Saturday, got my workout in, drove to Charlottesville, came home. You know, it, the, the hour's late. It's, it's after 11 o'clock. Florida State's up 10. We're deep into the fourth quarter. I love my guy, Wes Durham, on ACC Network with Ronnie Jones. But I thought – the game was over. So I went up to bed and then awakened, of course, like everyone else to, to, to the news and, and the highlights. Andy, we, we're, we've both been around college football long enough to realize if it's not quarterback, the one position you think about when you think about FSU is defensive back. Right. I mean, going back to Dion and you know, Leroy Butler, Jalen Ramsey, we, we go down the list. And to think that Florida State was incapable of stopping, not a Hail Mary, but a 59-yard just go route on the last play of the game against an FCS opponent that had lost to UAB the week before 31 nothing. It's, it's, it's indefensible. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. I actually did see it. I was on the verge of sleep. It was a long day covering the Virginia Tech Middle Tennessee game. And I, I happened to glance at my phone. I'm like, this game is still in, <laughs> in like a contest here. So I went to the, I turned on the TV and I got it on. And, you know, it's the you know, fourth or whatever. And they're from the, at their own 41 yard line. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a, a, a run of the mill incompletion that's deep. And then they throw it and he catches it. You're like, Oh my gosh, can he get down before they get they can't get out of bounds or something like that? Is he gonna actually score this? And then he does. I like I was sort of sleepy. I'm like, did this actually just happen? I was wondering if I was dreaming this as I was watching. It's one of those plays that even as you're watching it, you can't believe it. Um, uh, you know, I am typically pretty I give a lot of rope for uh, a lot of leash for new coaches, especially new coaches coming into difficult situations. And Mike Norvell had a really difficult situation coming in, came in, 
during the COVID year, didn't really have an off season. Obviously, Florida State was not exactly a well-oiled machine when he got there, and there's a lot to fix. I feel like a lot of people coming into the season were talking about the Seminoles, like this is a team to watch. They're going to turn the corner, and you think so in that Notre Dame game. Yep. And as it turns out, Notre Dame might not be that good, It'll be like that Texas Notre Dame game a couple years ago. Uh, it just feels like this is more the same with Florida State. Is this? I mean, is, it's an inexcusable result. Is this something that's going to get much better this year for Florida State? The schedule isn't going to do them any favors, that's for sure. And you you have to wonder about the mindset of the team right now. I mean, and you, you mentioned the receiver from Jacksonville State. That's a Duke transfer. Right, Clemson transfer to a Duke transfer. Yes, from Damon Philliard Johnson, who was an all-ACC kick returner at, at Duke. No, I, to not have your team prepared for that moment, that's on Adam Fuller, the D.C. That's on Mike Norvell, the, the head coach. And after the Willie Taggart era, I think Florida State fans have every right to be up in arms just about simple preparation. Yeah, and it wasn't just the defense. I mean, they scored 14 points against an FCS team. The quarterback play that was pretty good against Notre Dame was awful uh, last week, just didn't look the same. You know, we always look at Florida State's schedule. We go, well, they got to play UNC and Clemson and Miami and Florida. Those are all ranked teams. I don't think they're going to beat Wake Forest this week. Yeah. I mean, they're five-point underdogs at Wake Forest. Wake Forest, I know they played some pushovers early in the season, but I don't feel like Florida State is going to go into Wake Forest and win this game, and that's just a spot in this program that is just so shocking to be at, even though it's been that way for a while. It would, it, Andy, it would be Florida State's first 0-3 start since Bobby Bowden's first season, 1976. And, and, and by Wake Forest, you mean the Norfolk City champions? That's right. Right. I, I think they take the crown in the 757 at this point. Right. right. They beat Old Dominion and Norfolk State to open the year. Well, I want to hit on two other results from week one, because I feel like this is maybe sort of a contender, pretender type situation. And that's Pitt beating Tennessee 41-34, Mississippi State beating NC State 24-10. to Let's start with the Pitt game, because uh, I don't think Tennessee is very good. I just I, let me just put that out there. I don't think the Vols are a very good team. And but it was a nice road win for Pitt. I mean, they, they had a they had a mistake early on where they had a blocked punt where they didn't block anybody. And NC State or uh, Tennessee gets an early lead like that. And you're, you're playing from behind. But Kenny Pickett looked pretty good. 285 passing, two touchdowns, five sacks, two fumbles, an interception to seal the game of, of Hendon Hooker, Virginia Tech transfer at the end of the game for Pitt. I'm looking at the schedule. They got Western Michigan this week, New Hampshire, Georgia Tech, open week, then at Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech. They should be 5-0 and going into an open week, then going on the road against a team that they play pretty well against. I know a couple of years ago here, they couldn't do anything offensively uh, against Bud Foster's defense, but whenever they're at Heinz Field, they do everything offensively against Virginia yeah. Tech. Should we start to take Pitt seriously at this point? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm like you. I, I was impressed just by you know going into Knoxville, winning the game, coming from ten nothing down, and you know through, through you mentioned the sacks. You know they've got ten sacks through two games. I mean that's kind of the pit way. That's the way Narduzzi likes to to play defense. Kalijah Cansey. You know they've got him and. Uh, 
Pet, Petrushin, I'll butcher that. that last I'll, I'll name. defer to you on how to pronounce that one. Yeah, but you know, they've, they, they've, they've got pass rushers. Uh, Pickett's got weapons on, on the edge. You know, they're still, as often the case at Pitt, trying to find a, a run game. So we'll see how that plays out. But absolutely, I think the Panthers are coming to Blacksburg unscathed. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to watch because whenever Pitt gets a little bit of momentum or expectations, that's when it tends to stumble. That's been the MO there. But I'm always impressed with how you know Pitt lost some pretty good defensive ends from last year, pretty good defensive linemen, and they just always seem to reload at that position. They're really good defensively. I guess we should expect that on a Pat Narduzzi team that they're going to be good defensively, but you know, 12th year senior Kenny Pickett at quarterback maybe gives them a little stability on that offensive side that they don't always have. The flip side here, NC State, uh, pretty fraudulent, it seemed like. <laughs> that was a rough go down to Mississippi State. They gave up a 100-yard kickoff return on the opening kickoff, and it didn't get much better from there. Nope. They, they couldn't run the ball. Devin Leary threw for 303, but they were down 24 to 3 before a late touchdown at the end of the game. Uh, you know, they scored 10 points against the Mississippi State defense. They gave up 34 to Louisiana Tech the previous week. Uh, is this just a case of NC State, whenever it has to play somebody of significance in the non-conference schedule, just can't live up to it? That is the, the program's history, Andy. And NC State has not beaten a Power 5 non-conference opponent on the road since Philip Rivers' junior season, 2002 at Texas Tech. But to show you how lame the Wolfpack's non-conference schedule usually is, they'd only had four such games in that 19-year span before going to Mississippi State. They never play anybody on the road in non-conference. Yeah, that was uh, something I noticed about them for a while. Was it always be 3-0, 4-0, you start feeling, hey, the Wolfpack looking pretty good. And then you look at the schedule, who they're beating, and it's a lot of directional state uh, universities on there. I went back and I looked at that 2002 game at Texas Tech, 51-48 to in overtime, or 51-48 to overtime win for NC State. You mentioned Phillip Rivers. Do you know the quarterback for Texas Tech in that game? No. He's coaching the Arizona Cardinals now, Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff Kingsbury. Phillip Rivers versus Cliff Kingsbury, Chuck Amato versus Mike Leach, and the star of that game was T.A. McClendon, who ran for five touchdowns. <laughs> wow. Those are some God. names. That's uh, throwing it back there. Those are some names. But to bring it back to the present, uh, NC State, I mean, you lose Peyton Wilson on defense. They lost a safety as well, I think. Uh, I did not yeah, write the Cyrus name down. Cyrus Fagan, the transfer from Florida State. Uh, that hurts. And, you know, I think yeah. coming into the season, a lot of people had a lot of hope for NC State coming off the year they had last year. I was a little more bearish on them because I looked at the wins they had last year. It seemed like they beat everybody they were supposed to and lost to everybody that they were supposed to. And, and maybe even one they weren't supposed to, Virginia Tech, which didn't turn out to be a very good team. Uh, I know people were excited about NC State going in saying, oh, they could be second behind uh, Clemson in this division. Does this make you change your mind about uh, perhaps where the Wolfpack stand there? It does. And you know, I, I think right now and on, on that side, you know, I picked Wake Forest third in, in, in preseason. 
And I'm not so sure if given a mulligan, I wouldn't pick the Deacon second right now. I think I have the Deacon second. It, it was a miss. Well, I mean, it, well, let, let's see. hold on now. We're in week two and they're just the <laughs> Norfolk City champions at this point. Yeah. So I don't know if it's going to hold on like that. But I looked at teams two through five, really, or two through six, and they were pretty similar. Yeah. Uh, and I think I had Florida State six because I wasn't buying into that. Uh, mm. But I, I feel like you. <laughs> Like maybe Clemson's not Clemson this year, but you get back to that second tier and it's kind of similar. And I'm I'm curious, especially BC's injury to Dracovic, uh, NC State's injury with Peyton Wilson, Florida State stinking out of the gate like it has. Louisville hasn't looked very good either. Yeah, I think it might be Wake Forest. Maybe this week will tell us something about that with Wake Forest uh, hosting Florida State. I think it will. And I, I think Sam Hartman's sneaky good. You know, except for the bowl last year in Charlotte where he threw, what, three three picks in, in the first half. You know, he's been super efficient whenever he whenever he plays for, for the Deacons. I like him. I think Clawson, Dave Clawson is one of the most underrated coaches in, in all of college football in my mind. I think if, if given a chance, that guy could thrive at any level of the power five. Yeah. He hasn't exactly walked into ready-made situations in his career with Richmond Bowling Green and all these places where it's like, okay, there's not much there. And he, he's a program builder. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you look at he, Jim Grobe is like the greatest coach of Wake Forest history or one Absolutely. of them uh, among them. And then you look at what uh, Clawson has done and, you know, record wise and, and bowl wise, he's been a lot more consistent than what Grove was. So it's not like that program is just like guaranteed to make a bowl every year. And Clawson is doing that. All right, let's turn to this week's games because the Commonwealth of Virginia has some very interesting matchups. I think uh, we'll start every week. Yeah. It, it's a really good week for games. We'll start with the one between two ACC teams. Uh, Virginia goes to North Carolina and I'll be honest when I saw the line for this, the opening line Tar Heels minus 10. And now that I think that's moved down to nine. Now I still feel like that is very high against a team that has beaten them four straight times. And that has looked pretty good offensively this year. I know they've played some uh, not great competition, depending on what you want to say about Illinois. Uh, But uh, that that's a tougher team than I think maybe people think in Virginia. Andy, maybe our buddy Aaron McFarlane can offer us some insight. Oh, I know line. he's got an opinion on that one. <laughs> I just, I don't, I'm baffled by it completely. I've seen, you know, we, we both saw Carolina, Virginia tech in the opener Friday on that Friday night in Blacksburg. And I've seen both of Virginia's games thus far. I don't understand anybody who's seen both teams, Keenan Stadium notwithstanding, why the Tar Heels are favored by nine points. By a field goal, maybe because they're at home? Sure. But like you said, Virginia's beaten them four in a row, including twice at Keenan. You know, two years ago at Keenan, Bryce Perkins sets the school record for total offense in, in one game. And then last year in Charlottesville, a game Tar Heels should have won. 
you know, Bronco fakes a punt late because he knows he can't stop Sam Howe. Everybody in the stadium knew it was coming, but Keaton Thompson still made it work. They convert and take a knee and drive home safely. Yeah, I, I think people go, well, Bryce Perkins, that's, you know, a couple years ago. That's why uh, they were so good in that game in Keenan. Well, Brennan Armstrong is a pretty good quarterback. Like, yeah. is he, he might be one of the most underestimated quarterbacks in this league. Threw for 405 yards, five touchdowns against Illinois last week. Uh, I don't know if it's because he's short or because he's left-handed or what it is about him. But when I talk, you know, I did the state of the program for UVA in the offseason. I talked to Bronco Mendenhall about Armstrong, and he's like, he's just the most competitive person ever. Like, if you're playing tiddlywinks, he wants to beat you in this game. Like, whatever it is, if you're going in the backyard and playing stickball or something, you want to pick him first in your games. Bronco loves this guy as his quarterback. And as well as should, and, and Armstrong's the same way in, in, in post-game with media. He was frosted on Saturday, Andy, because they committed two turnovers in the fourth quarter in Illinois territory, and they missed two field goals. So they hung 40-plus on Illinois, and he's thinking they should have had like 60. I mean, that, that, that's how he rolls. But, but here's a, a, a crazy thought. He was so scorching hot on Virginia's first two possessions that on the first snap of the third possession, he completed a 23-yard pass to Keaton Thompson, and it lowered his passer rating from th- <laughs> on the day from 390 to 376. Well, maybe if he would have thrown a deep pass, it might have gone up a little bit. Yeah. That offense to me is fascinating. Because yeah. they do yet, I don't want to say it's like gimmicky, but there's a lot of gadget gadgetry to it in a lot of ways. And you know, Jelani Woods is a he could be a problem this year for a lot of teams. Six seven tight end. It, you you almost wonder what that team could have done if Lavelle Davis was healthy. Two six seven guys out that they can just throw it up to. But you know, they put Keaton Thompson in the game, and he's running out of the Wildcat, and he's as a receiver. They just seem to do so much stuff that could be very frustrating for an opposing defense. Absolutely. A lot, a lot of misdirection, gadgetry, you know, Armstrong caught an 18 yard pass last week. They've got a lot of different things they could do. And, and by the way, the guy who threw the pass to Armstrong was not Keaton Thompson, was not Ike Armstead. It was Dontavian Wicks, their, their deep threat receiver. So they've just got a lot of versatility on that side. You know, we were all harping. I put myself in this category too. Scold myself. We're all talking about can Virginia find a traditional running game? Well, I'm not sure they care about a traditional running game in Charlottesville, given their personnel. Yeah, yards are yards. And uh, it feels like there's going to be a lot of yards in this game because the question I have, about UVA is can they slow down Sam Howell? Then, you know, North Carolina looked like North Carolina. Uh, you played Georgia State last week. It wins 59 to 17. Howell accounted for over 400 yards. He actually ran for 104. You don't think yeah. of him as like a running quarterback like that, but uh, accounted for five touchdowns in that. I didn't really catch any of that game. I just saw the stats afterwards. Uh, when you see the numbers on that, do you feel better? Uh, about the Tar Heels' offense than you did after watching them in the opener struggle so much against Virginia Tech? 
Oh, no doubt. And, you know, Hal had a 65-yard touchdown on Andy in, in that game. That, you know, that accounted for a majority of that buck four on the ground. But, yeah, they, they needed a game like that. That was fortuitous scheduling. You know, you, you, you come off that disappointing opener at Lane and you want to get it right, especially on the offensive side. And, you know, now, now they've got a very competitive coastal division game where it's kind of, I mean, I, I know six and two or five and three has won the coastal seven times over the years. But if Carolina goes to 0 and two and does not have the tiebreaker against two rivals such as Tech and UVA, it's pretty difficult to envision Carolina and Charlotte first week of December. Who do you like in that one? I like Virginia. I mean, I really do. I like them straight up. Straight up. Money line bet here. Yep. I don't know if I'll go that far, but but if I see a line that's minus nine, I just I feel like even if they're down with this offense, they are capable of getting back and covering that line. Uh, maybe that's kind of a, a weasel way to make a pick on this one with this line. But uh, that'll be interesting to see going down there, because like we said, UVA has such a history of success. Uh, against North Carolina recently. I want to turn to the game that both of us will be at, correct? Uh, this weekend, yes. Virginia Tech at West Virginia. Uh, the Cousins are meeting again for the first time uh, in Morgantown since 2005. Uh, I have only covered the 2017 game in the antiseptic FedEx field where it's 50-50 in the stadium. The rivalry had cooled off for over a decade. Uh, I'm sure people were sort of on their best behavior for that kind of game. Uh, you're in an NFL stadium, so it's not going to be this just completely raucous atmosphere. You, however, have covered a lot of games in this rivalry. Uh, yeah. Tell us about it. What is so good about the games of the past uh, when the Mountaineers and the Hokies meet? Well, number number one is just the raw drama that these two programs have produced against one another. You, you go back to 1989. And Maurice DeShazo and the Hokies go into Morgantown. And that's the first time that Frank Beamer ever beat a ranked opponent. And it, at the time, it was the highest ranked opponent that the Hokies had ever beaten. Mountaineers were number nine in the country going into that game. And, and Tech won. It was a real low-scoring game. Neither team had more you know, they were both in the teen, in the teens or I think West Virginia had nine or 10 points. And then, you, you know, you fast forward a decade and the Michael Vick, Shane Graham game in, in Morgantown in 99. And then a game that Hokie fans would love to forget is four years later. Tech goes in there six and zero, average victory margin north of 30 ranked number three in the country, and they got boat raced, just crushed, and Tech was never the same. That team finished eight and five. Yeah, it, it's uh, really like a hot and cold uh, series. I, I think of some of the moments I've, I've gone back and watched on YouTube, that Wayne Ward block 
on Andre Davis's punt return touchdown in 2000, where he just completely <laughs> obliterates this poor West Virginia defenders, not looking and just the next minute he knows he's on the ground wondering what the bus was that hit him. The, uh, the Marcus Vick game, the, uh, oh, yeah. the number one salute that he gets oh, yeah. the West Virginia crowd. And that was it. The rivalry was over after that point. Uh, I mean, you were around when that happened. Was that just this rival was just too hot to handle yeah. at that point? I, I mean, I, I've talked to, to guys. I, I talked to Dwight Vick and Michael Vick for a story I'm doing this week. And they were telling me some of the Morgantown tales. It's just like you're there and the, the coaches are like, keep your helmet on because coins mm-hmm. and batteries and stuff are going to come out of the crowd. It just makes sense. You don't want to get hit in the head like that. They said the opposing fans used to like come up to the bus bus in, in pregame and like rocket back and forth rocket. and yes. and like they're like you got like old ladies in wheelchairs like flipping you off and stuff they, like it sounded like it was an experience to go into morgantown for some of these games oh it, it absolutely was and all those stories are true because <laughs> I, I because i've walked down through the stands to get to post game when tech was ahead in some of those and i wish i had a helmet well, I don't think it's that bad anymore. I think they've done some things to sort of cool off the crowd and those. It's going to be a noon game coming up, so I, I can't imagine yeah. uh, the crowd there will be too lubed up uh, for this particular matchup. What do you think about the matchup itself? West Virginia, a three-point favorite in this game. I have to admit, I was a little surprised by the line when it came out, and it's one of those that it makes me go, what does Vegas know that, that yeah. I'm not seeing on this thing? I'm not sure. I mean, turnovers hurt West Virginia at Maryland. What was the final? 30 to 24? Something and like then, that. Yeah. yeah. And again, full disclosure, did you know that LIU played football? I did not. And, and when they did, did, I'm like, I, when they did, I'm like, is that a Division II team? It's an FCS team. So it's at least yeah. a, a Division I team. But yeah, would never have paid that. No, I had no idea when I saw that on last week's schedule. I'm like, well, Highland University plays football? So 66 to nothing, it didn't surprise me. I, I just kind of dismiss it. But, you know, to, to, to listen to Justin Fuente and, and some of his, his players the last couple of days, clearly West Virginia on tape has their attention just from an athletic standpoint. It just seems like the Mountaineers, especially at at the skill positions, and as Fuente noted on the defensive front, have athletic, disruptive-type players. And even to the point on special teams, what did Fuente say about their kickoff return? He said he hits it at 8 million miles an hour. Right. and, and, And took one to the house last week. What do you need to see out of Virginia Tech to be more of a believer? They're ranked 15th uh, in the polls this week. Might seem kind of high, but I've done those polls before. Once you get past 10, I feel like 15 is a lot closer to 25th than people realize. Uh, There's just not a lot of teams that you can put up there right now. You you have 2-0. haven't exactly overwhelmed the competition in the first two games. North Carolina was a tight one sort of a workmanlike win against middle Tennessee. It's in just like, it wasn't aesthetically pleasing, but it was effective. They won the game by yeah. what they were supposed to in that one. Uh, is there something you need to see more of out of the Hokies to be a, a true believer in this team? Well, 
you were there in, in Charlotte at the ACC kickoff where Justin Fuente said, I've never felt better about our passing game than I do this season. And I have, I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen, okay, this is why he believed so strongly in Braxton Burmeister and, and that receiver room. Have they been good? Sure. Have they been exceptional? I would say no. Yeah, I think that's the big question right now. And, uh, you know, talking with Fuente this week, a little, I think he's a little surprised that that hasn't uh, hit exactly how they would have hoped. And I think some of it comes down to Burmeister just sort of cutting loose. And he's been a little uh, gun shy in the pocket at times and uh, maybe coming off a read a little bit too quick and, and scrambling out in that. Uh, I, I think Fuente would like to find that happy medium where, you know, Ryan Willis drove him batty a couple yeah. of years ago with the uh, scared money, don't make money uh, line. And, you know, there was never a throw that Ryan Willis was not afraid to make. And that cost him a lot. And it cost him his job eventually because he was uh, throwing so many interceptions. I think Fuente would rather have a quarterback a little more protective of the ball uh, like Burmeister, but he'd also like them to take some chances and make some plays down the field or at least give his receivers a chance to make a play. And right now, he's not exactly giving him those shots or at least not in uh, abundance of opportunities like that. So that'll be an interesting thing to want to watch. You got a, a pick in this game. I, I'm kind of I picked in the preseason. I picked West Virginia. I just thought this first road game. Uh, tough environment. I, I feel like I have to see how the Hokies respond in an environment before I, I really back them in that. So I'm going to stick with West Virginia on this one. I'm picking Virginia Tech. I just I've I've been impressed by the, the first two, especially defensively. I just think they've been so good. Now you know this is the first hostile environment really they've faced since 2019 in in Charlottesville to to close the regular season. Uh, I'd feel a lot better if James Mitchell w- w- were in uniform. You know, as, as much depth as as the Hokies seem to have at tight end. You know, Nick Gallo has one touchdown in his career. Drake Dulius has none. James Mitchell has 12. And he's got him in a variety of ways. And that's going to be really difficult to replace. All right, one more game on the slate this week that I wanted to hit, and that's Michigan State at Miami. And I know you've got a lot of thoughts on the Canes. Uh, interesting game last week where against Appalachian State, they were fortunate to pull that one out, 25-23 at the end. The most drama in the stadium was on a cat that was hanging like cliffhangers, yes. like Sylvester Stallone cliffhanger, and then they saved it, but it fell into an American flag below. Uh, but to the game... Miami, what is going on with the Canes so far? That the offense hasn't looked very explosive, the defense hasn't looked that special, and you lose to my Alabama in the opener, and you go, "Oh, it's just Alabama." You know that's going to happen. But Appy State, uh, you know they were close to, I think they were seven and a half point favorites, something like that in that game, and that was a lot tighter than it should have been. And you know if Appalachian State doesn't drop some passes on that last drive, it might have been an upset situation. Yeah, it absolutely could have been. And much like Florida State, Andy, that's a fan base that is not happy, and nor should it be. Derek King does not look 
like the pre-ACL De'Ara King yet, not through two weeks. Now Alabama's defense can can do that to you, and App State is a quality Sun Belt program, but still, you've you've got to be better than that if you, if you hope to win an ACC division title and and get to Charlotte and potentially challenge Clemson. I don't think Miami has tackled particularly well. They certainly, as as you referenced, have not been explosive offensively. Again, here's another line I don't understand. Michigan State's look pretty good so far, especially in the opener against Northwestern. I know they're on the road, but six and a half? Yeah, that's a big number. And you mentioned tackling. Well, they're going to have to tackle Kenneth Walker the third, and he's off right? to a great start. The Wake Forest transfer for the Spartans uh, ran for like 240 or so, 220 something, I think, in the opener against Northwestern, four touchdowns. Uh, I, I feel like so much of what Miami has relied on in the past year plus has been Derek King making stuff happen. And then, you know, the defense has been good in spots and, and bad at t- other times. North Carolina last year beat an obvious game like that. But when you put so much on your quarterback's shoulders and your quarterback isn't that far removed from an ACL injury, I know we heard all offseason that he's back, he's fine. He's just like, you don't quite get all that explosiveness back right at the nine-month mark. And I know everybody's bodies are different. They react different, but... It, I, I had questions coming into the season if that was enough time for him to be fully recovered for this thing and be himself. Because what makes him special is that mobility and that ability to make plays and stuff. And I just, I wonder if we're seeing that. It sounds like in this one that you might be taking Sparty as a pick uh, in this game. Am I correct on that? You are correct. I, I just, I don't have any faith in in Miami right now. I mean, this dates back to, to last season and, in that Carolina game that you referenced. And I know Carolina was really good on offense last year, but really 700 yards at home. It's uh, that does not speak. Well, I know Manny Diaz took over defensive play calling this year, but to me, the hurricanes seem a long way away from uh, stamping themselves as contenders. Now, you know, you go be a big 10 team like this. Yeah, we can chat. Well, reset the picture in the coastal division for me then. You know, before the season, I, I assume you had North Carolina. Do you pick somebody else? No, I picked Carolina, Miami, Virginia Tech, UVA, Pitt. Do these first couple of weeks make you reconsider that order at this point? Are you ready to make any significant changes to that? No, I don't know about significant changes. Although we, we, we do a weekly ACC power poll among our, our chain papers. And this week, I had Clemson 1, Virginia Tech 2, UVA 3. Wow. That could be interesting. I, I, I think the, the three through five teams that you had, and I had, those are the, the same order, uh, I believe, that I had in, in my poll as well. I feel as good about Virginia Tech, Virginia, and Pitt winning the Coastal right now as I do North Carolina, Miami. Yes. And and maybe that speaks more to, I think all five of them are about the same. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it felt like coming to the season that everybody was like, North Carolina, Miami are ranked. Those are the two teams that are up there. 
and then these other teams maybe can get into the mix. I, I think it could truly be going to a coastal chaos scenario that we talk about all the time. I don't know if everybody's going to be four and four because I look at Duke and I look at Georgia Tech and I go, I don't think it's going to happen there. But I think the rest of the division could be very, very interesting. Uh, not many other interesting games in the ACC. I, I'll just list them and, and give me one that maybe piques your interest a little bit this week. UCF at Louisville, Georgia Tech at Clemson, Clemson a 28 and a half point favorite in that game. Northwestern at Duke. Uh, the other ones probably aren't even worth mentioning. Any of those going to catch your eye if you have a, a free minute on the TV this week? Maybe UCF, Louisville, just to see the soon-to-be Big 12 uh, Central Florida squad. That's a Friday and, night game, too, so we can watch that one. Yes, we, we can. I'll be, I'll be feet up in, 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 in my presidential suites somewhere in Fairmont, West Virginia. Uh, pre- preparing for for the noon kick, uh, so yeah, see if Louisville can can, can show a pulse because that was a bad performance on Labor Day night against Ole Miss, and I don't think we learned anything against Eastern Kentucky. Just to to go back to one point you made, Andy, about potential coastal chaos. That's the last thing that the ACC and specifically Clemson need this season because Clemson needs to play if it's going to be playoff viable, even if it runs the table from here to Charlotte, the the Tigers may need a nationally ranked opponent in that game, depending on how it plays out in the rest of the country. Listen, Teal, Coastal Chaos doesn't listen to the ACC's needs or <laughs> desires. It just happens. That's what it does. You can't control or contain Coastal Chaos. It is its own beast, and it will break out and do whatever it wants to do in that situation. Well, that's going to do it for this show. I think we ran the gamut with everything. Uh, David Teal, thank you so much for coming on. Go follow him on Twitter at by David Teal. Uh, if you're an ACC fan, you're going to want to read everything that he writes because he's more knowledgeable than anybody. Uh, he's got a two media dining ACC sign behind him. I mean, how many people have that in his room? Uh, David, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, giving us some of your ACC wisdom. It was great fun, Andy. Thanks for having me. All right. That's the show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, please, everybody, go rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. That helps us get the word out. Uh, on the show. We're always trying to get new listeners to come in. So that would help us. If you have not subscribed yet to the athletic, please go do so. You can listen to this podcast ad free there. Uh, go to the athletic.com slash ACC pod. We still have a 50% deal going off. I think through the end of this week, go sign up now. No reason not to follow me on Twitter at Andy bitter VT. I'll be at Virginia tech, West Virginia this weekend. We'll be back next week to talk to you about all the ACC action. <music>
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.